Welcome back to the Simulated Universe. I'm your host, Riz Verk. And this season, you know, we've been delving into the metaverse, but we're going to take a break from that and go back to some of the topics that we talked about in our first season, which was very much about simulated realities. Um, and just a reminder that my new book, The Simulated Multiverse, which is all about something called the the Mandela effect just came out last week. And so I'm excited today to have David Guy Levy with me. Uh, David is a film producer um, and director. He's founder of Periscope Entertainment. His most recent film was The Mandela Effect, which was released in 2019. And, you know, I saw this movie shortly after I'd come out with my book, The Simulation Hypothesis. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so cool. He's talking about multiple timelines. He's talking about quantum computing, all the kinds of stuff, you know, that I get into uh, in my new book. Um, so David was also singled out by Variety for being a producer to watch. His other films include Would You Rather, Terry, August, and the documentary Banking on Bitcoin. He also writes comic books, including his recent graphic novel, Pet Human. You can still grab a copy over on Kickstarter. We'll ask him about that as well before the end. Just search for Pet Human. And welcome to the podcast, David. Oh, thanks for having me, Riz. This is fun to be here. Yeah. So, you know, on this podcast, we tend to be at the border of science, science fiction, superstition, religion, philosophy, all kinds of things. And uh, uh, so, you know, let's let's talk about your movie, The Mandela Effect, which is you know the, the thing that I'm most interested in. Uh, your documentary on Bitcoin is, is sounds kind of interesting as well. I don't I don't know that I've seen it, but I've definitely heard about it. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about uh, this movie, The Mandela Effect. Like, how did you get the idea? to make a science fiction movie and, and what, you know, what was the process like uh, in getting that from just a random idea to an actual script and actually making the movie? Well, as a filmmaker, I kind of always wanted to, my bucket list is to make a movie in every genre. And I made horror first because it's sort of a very safe entry level thing to do uh, with Would You Rather. It was just a horror movie and those sell easily and they find audiences easily. And and I was risking some of my own money and I was like, all right, well, I'll do a horror movie first. And then I knew that the next thing I wanted to do was a sci-fi movie. And at the same time, uh, I look at the world in a very existential way. I'm always questioning the bigger picture or wonder or trying to interpret the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, Trump was in office, the world was becoming more politically divided. You know, it just felt like we were being tested on a daily basis as a society. And I was having lunch with a friend who asked me if I had heard of the Mandela effect, which I had not. And I said, no, please enlighten me. And I remember we were eating deep dish pizza, which is my favorite. <laughs> and, uh, and he started telling me all these things. And I was like, no, wait, what? No, that's not. And he's giving me all these examples and, and then telling me, you know, there's many different theories. You, some people think it's multi multiverses. Some people think it's simulation. Uh, it's uh it's uh, the simulation theory. Some people think it's both. You know, there's so many, the interpretations are like the shades of the color spectrum. There's so many different angles. And I'd always just, I'd recently also at the same time uh, been introduced to simulation theory. I mean, we'd all seen the matrix and stuff, but I'd never really scientifically looked into it outside of a storytelling way. And- Was this and, in uh, 2016 or This so? was around 2016, yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe 2017, 16 or 17. And I, you know, I, I had sort of uh, come across Nick Bolstrom's hy uh, hypothesis. And, and after my friend had told me about the Mandela effect and shown me some effects, uh, I, 
this went down the rabbit hole that I think most people go down when they get home after being introduced to something like that. And I just went to YouTube and Google, which leads me back to YouTube and just watched a lot of people's, you know, home videos explaining what they thought it might be uh, and different effects. And I just, I didn't stop searching. I just, I realized like a week later, I was still looking into this stuff and I was still fascinated by it. And yeah, before you continue, for those yeah. who don't know, many yeah. of my listeners probably will, but tell us about the Mandela effect. Like, what is it? And, uh, you know, how is it coined? And, and when people talk about the effect or the effect. I will tell you. And let me also tell your listeners what I told you before we started, which is it's been two years since I've made this movie, people. I'll try to remember all the savvy pitches I had, but I haven't practiced in a while. So um, I would say- Thanks for that disclaimer. No worries at all. Yeah. (laughs) So feel free to correct me, Riz, because I'm far from the expert on the subject. Uh, But the Mandela effect is- and, and the definition is controversial because some people say, no, it's not a theory, it's facts. And you know, people get very heated over this, but uh, the Mandela effect is uh, when a collective group collectively uh, misremembers something um, and then collectively thinks, well, no, it was the way we all misremembered it. Um, for example, the Berenstain Bears is a big one where it's spelled right now, it's Berenstain Bears. And I say right now- S-T-A-I-N. Yes, S-T-A-I-N. And and I say right now, because in the Mandela Effect community, everyone says it used to be S-T-E-I-N. They were Jewish, you know, it was the Berenstain Bears, not the Berenstain Bears. Uh, In Star Wars, uh, Luke uh, was never told, uh, Darth Vader never said, Luke, I am your father. He said, no, I am your father. Um, and you can come up with a million reasons why we think that, or you can think that it used to be that way and something shifted in reality. And so the Mandela effect is plenty more examples. This is just two, but you know, of, of people saying, no, that's not what it was. Fruit of the Loom used to have a whole harvest display on their logo. And now it's just a couple pieces of fruit. And if you look back on their history, it was always just a couple pieces of fruit. Um, and you know, uh, it goes on and on, but people say, you know, like, well, I can explain that, you know, uh, so many people think that, you know, an example, a reason that, uh, Darth Vader never said, uh, Luke, I'm your father is, and we remember it that way is he did say, you know, no, I am your father. But when we were kids, we're playing in our backyards with lightsabers and we're obviously just going to say, Luke, I'm your father. And we might remember it that way. Um, And there was like a Sinbad movie that everyone was like, oh, remember that movie where Sinbad played a genie? Uh, It was called Shazam. And everyone's like, yeah, I remember that. Like, no, that never existed. There was never a movie with Sinbad called Shazam. And you might think, oh, well, there was a movie called Kazam with Shaq. And why, well, why do we think that? And then like, I I looked into it and Shazam, uh, not Shazam, Sinbad was once on TV uh, in a genie costume. And he also played uh, Sinbad the, uh, in a cartoon, I believe. And so those two things get conflated and then you think, oh, there was a movie. Right, uh, but now there or, are people who swear. Or the other side, which <laughs> yeah. says, no, that's not it. You know, like there was a movie in another reality or we were in a simulation and they just made an update and the new update doesn't have that. Um, and so, you know, these, these, these things are fun to think about. And 
uh, you know, being an existential person who thinks about, is there uh, a greater being, a smarter intelligence? Is there a great design? Is it all just meaningless? Uh, you start to look into this stuff and then you get led down the path of quantum physics, which, you know, as a layman, I'll never fully understand quantum physics, neither will a quantum physicist. But, you know, you start thinking about some of these theories and you think about uh, that on a different level. And then you start to apply what you're learning about the slit experiment and about uh, Schrodinger's cat. And you take all these ideas and then you're like, well, how would the Mandela effect be a product of this stuff? And so I started thinking about that and it started to develop into a screenplay. And the first draft was horrible. I showed it to my wife and she said, please don't make this movie. Really? <laughs> it makes no sense. And she's always very supportive. And I was like, okay. And I spent another year writing it. And I was like, all right, now, and she read it. She's like, oh, this is, you can make this. Um, and, and, and was this and your I, first science fiction movie or? or yeah. And I, I was still passionate about it after a year. So I said, I should make this because I should find a way because, you know, and, and I just made it myself, you know, we shot it in 16 days, which is not a lot of time to shoot a movie. And we had, I think $300,000. So you don't have enough money. So you sort of like try to tell, like, I had this big idea, like, like, how do I tell this movie uh, with these resources? And you just try to find a way and, and it was very, a lot of ideas packed into 82 minutes. And it was yeah, just, and, and, boom, and, this is what I can do, people. I'm not a studio, but, and it, it caught on, you know, like I, I'm still talking about it with you right now because I all sort of look at these things and it doesn't matter if it's a shiny movie with Brad Pitt and the huge watch on Hulu and think, oh, that's interesting. Are we in a, Oh man, now I don't want to go to bed because maybe you know, like there'll be an update in the morning and I won't exist. Um, <laughs> yeah, and let's. I don't know well, if I'm making the, sense anymore, but that's absolutely. So that's uh, great, and and it is pretty amazing how the movie caught on. I mean, I remember hearing about it, you know, from a lot of different places, and of course, I was writing about simulation theory at the time, so I made a particular note of it. But it seems like it it, it really got out there and had a bit of a, a you know catching the zeitgeist, if you will. But for fun. For those fun. who haven't, who most haven't of the seen people it. are the ones who really believe in it. Like the people I hear from, not I'm not saying the most people have seen it, but the people who are actively vocal on the internet are the ones who are passionate about it. And they go, "Oh my god, you know, like here's proof." And I'm like, "It's not proof. It's just a guy named David just making stuff <laughs> up." But you know, like the ideas are hard to combat. You know, it's and Nick Bolstrom, his hypothesis says one of his one of the, the three reasons he says i don't I think yeah he had three yeah reasons. he said he had a what's called a trilemma three yeah. possible uh scenarios right that, that he went through yeah and one of them was well the odds are much greater that we are than we're not in a in an exponential way like it's very it's like you have to, it's like win the lottery small that this isn't the simulation and that to me is just like well fuck it and even there's times during this making of this movie just writing it and, and in a post being like and then like the the struggle to get it made and the struggle to finish it and get it edited and sell it no one like everything was a hurdle and i was like the universe doesn't want me to get this out there <laughs> I, I started to really believe in it um and, you know and then you sort of disconnect you put the movie out there i put the movie out there and i i've had some space to maybe get some some footing back in my daily reality but uh it, it's hard i i still people ask me if i believe in it and i can't say i i i have any proof that we're not either right like you said it, it's one of those things that's very hard to combat in my in we my recent book 
and I, uh, this came out right before the pandemic and then like the pandemic happens i'm like oh here's another friggin' test like what do they want to know how we'll respond in all so many situations like they're really just testing the system this decade like i just i think they got bored or and like some someone was talking about like uh you know someone made someone was joking on the internet that like someone was uh if this is a video game it's like someone's kid just took the controller and started smashing the buttons you know like like <laughs> Just yep. trying to crash some guy on a ps4 records. right yeah <laughs> so before we continue I, I mean i think it's a really interesting story how you got the movie out there but for those who haven't seen it give us like the quick summary of the storyline you know there's a yeah it opens up on brendan and brandon and his wife's name <laughs> claire. Me. Claire, claire thank yeah. you <laughs> See, it's been it's been a while. Um, that's okay. I have it open on Wikipedia here as we speak. So, so that's why I when you're working on a movie, you get like you get it's your every day. Wake up, go to sleep, working on it. And when you're done with it, you really try to like forget everything. You have to get any sense of your life back. You just try to forget about it. So yeah, Claire, uh, Brendan, and Claire, and they've lost their daughter Sam recently. She drowned in the ocean on a beach uh, day, and that and that's very like in the first minute, and and they're grieving and. And I feel like in my experience talking about this and developing the movie too, a lot of people uh, get who are attracted to these ideas that something isn't the way we believe it to be. A lot of people come from grief. Uh, I found that a lot of people who are grieving or traumatized from a past event uh, do really want to believe that there is uh, something like a multiverse and simulated theory to really back up that you know, what they've lost isn't gone completely, that there's still something there. And I'll give you some uh, good reasons to believe in that later in this podcast, uh, in my own journey through this. Um, but they lose their daughter and she's trying to move on and through her grief and he's unable to really move on. And while he's procrastinating on packing up a room and, and getting out there, he comes across the Mandela effect and he latches onto it. Um, and he starts to wonder like, if this is a simulation and he believes in the simulation theory as, an, as a reason. And he's like, if this is a simulation, uh, oh, and he, ha he happens to be a coder of games. So he knows computer code. And I learned in my research that quantum mechanics has pretty much the exact same computing structure as traditional uh, computing, uh, CSS. And so, He's like, I can figure out a way to, to crash the system, to reset it. Maybe, you know, it'll come back and maybe I'll make enough of a blip in someone's computer screen that they'll give me my daughter back or whatever might happen. Let me just try something. I've lost my daughter. I have no reason to really care about anything anymore. And I'm just going to poke at this bear. And so he starts researching about it. He, he meets a, a professor at a local university who's... Uh, has talked about simulation theory, who's also uh, had problems in his own life and who also might attribute that to his research. Um, and he starts to try to come up with a, a, a way and a theory to how he could affect the simulation. And then that goes down a rabbit hole of what is the simulation? Is it like these other video games like uh, where it's all procedurally generated? And if that's the case, that means the computing behind the simulations only focused on what's being observed, which goes into quantum physics a little bit. And then he's like, well, if I make it observe everything at once, it'll freeze up the computing power and I'll just have to reset. 
and that's his theory. And then he tries to figure out how do I make this simulation feel like everything's being observed. Which Does is exactly make- what a coder would do, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people in Silicon Valley trying to figure out how can I find you know, the glitches in the matrix and then yeah. change the code. <laughs> and obviously like, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and one of the characters, the professor, like he starts talking about his ideas and then his professorship is, is, is sort of shelved and he's sort of put out like in the basement of the university. No one takes his research seriously. And he thinks, well, it's because I'm, you know, I'm poking at the system and the system doesn't want me to make a mess, you know? And when I was making this movie, I was like, they were announcing the Matrix 4 was getting made. I was like, oh, of course. Now, now they're going to make this movie. <laughs> so I was, then I was really like against it to make it. And then like, yeah. And then like the movie get, like, on the set, everything was a nightmare. Nothing went the way I wanted it to. <laughs> then in editing, it took t- like a year and a half to edit. Like, oh, really? All our resources started drying up. And I was like, no. And then, you know, and then <laughs> no one wanted to take a meeting to watch it. And I was like, no, why is no one taking a meeting? And then like, I had to like, just keep trying and trying and trying. And then finally it came out. And I was like, no, man, <laughs> this is a simulation. No one wants me to make this. Yeah, but, the simulation is trying to stop you from exposing itself, right? And yeah. I've definitely heard that one before. But then so, I think it realizes like, you know what? No one's going to watch this guy's movie. So just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of responses did you get when you were presenting the movie? I mean, did you present it to distributors or film festivals? Distributors. Or- uh, it's The thing is, it is, it's a very small indie movie. And yeah. uh and there's only a few distributors who really like to work with those. So then I showed it to them. And luckily one of them said, yeah, we'll put that out. We like that. And the others are like, we like it, but it's not for us. It doesn't fit our brand, you know? And, and so uh, I went with the, the one person who said yes. <laughs> and uh, luckily they, you know, they were very helpful. They put it out. Then at the premiere, it was kind of fun because at the premiere, a lot of people who were really into the Mandela effect flew in for the screening from around the country. Was it, it was, in LA? Or it was in was Austin, it? Texas. Austin, okay. And it was uh, it was just trippy because then like they all wanted to ask me questions or one of the people stood up. He's like, hey, I know we've never met before, but I also know we have met before because, you know, this has just been reset. And like a lot of people were just throwing ideas at me that was made me like a little go, whoa, okay. We're all on that plane tonight. Okay. And then uh, it was just like a lot of intense people who maybe uh, were lashing onto the wrong ideas, I thought. But uh, it's still fun to see them excited about the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's great that you, you were able to get the buzz around the movie. Uh, you know, I've been involved with a few uh, independent films over the years. And, uh, you know, the first time we went to the, the American film market in Santa Monica, we yeah. had a little, you know, little movie about a Native American girl on the Navajo reservation. And they're like, we just want horror or, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot em up movies. We don't want yep. like these little uh, character movies. Totally. So it was interesting that your first movie was a, was a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Before, uh, getting into this one. Oh, yeah. Much safer bet if you're starting out make a horror movie. I mean, I try to make it as like unique as I could, but it was still a horror movie, you know? Yeah. Um, what do you think uh, went right in the marketing of this? I mean, I, I didn't realize it was such a, I knew it was an indie movie, but I didn't realize it was, it was very indie. It was a very small budget, kind of like very, the movies that I've worked on in the past. So yeah, yeah, it was very small. Your, I mean, made it, out of, made it out of my guest room, basically. Uh, um, what went right? What do you mean? Yeah, with the marketing, like, was there something that, either you or the distributor did that really got a lot of people online talking about this film? 
maybe just you know targeted social media ads you just you try to find audiences through facebook that are interested in quantum physics and simulation theory and you just blast all the ad money into that direction and then hopefully you know people in facebook groups they go oh have you heard about this i was just told about this and i think it was just that it was a social media uh ads that drive drove it because there was no uh besides you know a few quick stories online because they'll do like a little publicity push at the beginning where as they're releasing it it's sort of quote unquote newsworthy for an uh, outlet to cover it. And they'll get you a few, like a handful of placements on some blogs with the trailer and, or the poster release. But after that, it's all just targeted ads on Facebook uh, through all their platforms, you know? Um, unless, you know, for this kind of movie. You know? And then if you have like big actors and a bigger budget and, and, a, and a lot of things they can market to uh, because they know that an audience is going to want to see, you know, Ryan Gosling in a movie. They'll say, all right, we'll put some money into billboards and, and TV ads and show people there's a new Ryan Gosling movie coming out. But without someone like that, you know, and you're just a bunch of people running around and shooting it really quickly, uh, they don't have anything to market. You know, they, they can't say, oh, this person's in this and that and the person who made that is, is the one behind this. Like, we're all very new in our careers. So you sort of just have to release it as smart as you can and hope that the word of mouth is, oh, this is a cool movie, you should check it out. And then eventually one of those actors like Ryan Gosling sees that cool movie and goes, oh, will you make a movie with me? And then you get to work on the movies <laughs> that get the big ad campaigns, you know? Right, you would think, uh, you know, something like Ryan Reynolds, uh, Free Guy would be uh, yeah. an interesting uh, follow-up uh, movie for you in get, going with a bigger budget and getting a bigger actor. But I think most of our listeners don't understand how difficult it is. You it's know, like the Safdie brothers who did Uncut Gems. The reason they got to do that because they made some independent films just like we do. And then, uh, you know, uh, Robert Patterson wanted to make a movie with them and they made a cool movie called uh, uh, High Times. I think it was oh, Good Times, Good Times time and then uh adam sandler saw that he's like oh let's make a big movie now they're huge author directors because you know you just make what you can make and then hopefully the community says okay you made something cool let's all work together and make something bigger yeah but you know there's also a timing issue i think that uh, is interesting i mean i certainly heard about your film i think online on social media initially and you know it's pretty hard to get like the normal media outlets to review independent films or even independent books and, and so i ended up well, the timing to was interesting there. because the mandela effect i think was first noticed and or call or labeled what it was in 2012 and then uh it sort of sat there for Two, two years or three years and sort of like a, a small a small way like people talked about it but it wasn't growing like as a as a viral like phenomenon and then I think once our politics and the country started shifting and all these disasters were being amplified by the media and uh, you know even if things were existing before there was a time where like chaos started to be the thing that sold you know like in the media if if there's a story that can make you a little panicked that was getting amplified and and not just like with our president or, you know, but with global warming and with all this stuff we've known about was all of a sudden being targeted as the news we were gonna be shown. And that can really rattle up a society and make everyone start to really think that the, the, the sky is falling. And the Mandela effect, I think started to pick up steam around 2015, 2016, when it started to become more of a viral phenomenon. Hey, have you heard of the Mandela effect? I mean, it would explain a lot. And I think, and that's what drove me to make the movie. Um, and I think by the time it was coming out, you know, three and a half years later when I was selling it, 
uh, it had really reached a reached reached a pitch. Uh, and when we were releasing it, we definitely got to uh, surround or, or place ourselves in that conversation of that you know online like. Mandela effect, Mandela effect, Mandela effect. So people are searching just because they were interested in the Mandela effect and coming across the movie, you know, and like, and so it was just the right time and place in our center and where we are as a people for this movie to come out because like I would just get on Twitter and I would type in the Mandela effect and people would be having the conversation just in general about the topic. And then there'd be like three or four tweets about the movie. And then it would be like back to the topic. And then like, oh yeah, I was just thinking about that. Have you heard about the movie that's coming out? And I think it was just because people were talking about the effect. And then, you know, it's just, it was uh, symbiotic. Yeah, and there's a good lesson there, I think, for independent filmmakers and indie creators of all types, you know. I mean, same thing happened with my book, The Simulation Hypothesis, because people were already searching on The Simulation Hypothesis. It just got inserted into that conversation and then, and totally. then rode the wave. Because I think, like, you know, I'm from the 80s. I was born in 1980. And, and before the internet amplified everything. And... Uh, it was a much simpler time. A lot of stuff was happening, but at the same time, like the way we were reacting to it and it was being reported was just a more casually paced way. And it was being vetted in a more professional way. And things just seemed calmer in that time of my life. And, you know, uh, now we all, we're all like, even the people, the, the generation before the internet and the generation with the internet, we're all just living in this moment together. And we're all, and the people who are old enough to know that like it wasn't always like this, think there's gotta be a reason, you know? And we're all just drawn to any explanation. We love being, we love finding explanations and saying like, oh, someone's saying exactly what I feel. This might be, you know, a cause. And I just, it just, it all works together. And so I could see exactly why any book on the subject <laughs> is getting traction, you know? Cause you know, why are humans religious? Uh, because we want to better understand what our life is. And simulation theory is just another religion, you know, it's just, but based on, you know, ideas that make sense to us versus ideas of fantasy, even though it, it could at the end of the day be a fantasy, but you know, it's based on practical, philosophical and, 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 and scientific ideas. So let's talk about your, your personal thoughts on this as you went through the journey. I mean, did you become, did you have any Mandela effects of your own? Uh, and, you know, did you come to believe that perhaps there are alternate timelines or did you start seeing things in a different way? Uh, you know, what, one of my favorite aspects of your movie is when the guy, uh, Brendan, you know, he's sort of in his basement. It's sort of like, you know, the old X-Files thing where he's like finding this thing everywhere, right? That he looks and he's getting obsessed with it. So did you go through something like that as well? Or Yeah, well, it was a really weird time in my personal life to make this yeah. movie because at the, at the time, a few months earlier, my wife had been diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And like, and then it was like a really, and they were like, it doesn't look good. <laughs> this is stage four, good luck. And and so I was making this movie while she was going through chemo. Like I'd come home from the set and be like hanging out with her and seeing if she's okay. Cause like it was really, you know, building up in her. And that is enough for anyone <laughs> to think that like that they're up against it. And that, and to think of, you know, like, is there a, a reason for it? Um, and, but for, for the, just to note for everyone who's listening, she's fine. She's in remission. She's cancer free. So it's like, it's very, it's very good. But at the time it was like, this is just enough for me to really just want to believe all of this stuff, you know? 
Um, but, uh, and as a kid, I had the best memory on earth and now I'm in my forties and I'm constantly wrong about everything. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't remember anything correctly anymore. Um, and so, you know, there's that, uh, the Mandela effects, uh, in the movie or ones I, I put in the movie because I was like, yeah, no, I, that was always the way it was. This makes no sense why things have changed. You know, like all the examples that I included in the movie, uh, Monopoly Man having a monocle, Curious George having a tail, uh, you know, Star Wars. All, I, I had like maybe, I don't know, a dozen or so in there. Uh, I believed and I was like, well, that's crazy. But I also know that I am a man with very poor memory. And, <laughs> And I'll remember something from my presence poorly because of the way I then discussed it later and how the telephone game in my own head will just change my memories. So I'm very, I'm a very reasonable person when it comes to explaining why I'm wrong to myself. And I was able to sort of stay above the surface with that stuff. Um, but with the quantum theory and quantum entanglement and with, you know, uh, the, like how, you know, the universe can change something light years away from something else in an instant rather than going through time, like all that stuff. Uh, I'm still fascinated in, and I, I'm, I'm a true believer in that stuff. You know, like, uh, I don't know if it's a cause of the Mandela effect. I do believe that that stuff is real and that's the, the exciting stuff we'll learn as our lives continue in those areas. They're just going to continue to blow me away. And, and, I have this theory for myself. Like I, when I was a kid, I was really afraid of death. I was afraid of a finite end. I was afraid of not having any consciousness, uh, remembering the life I lived or the people I loved, you know, and my consciousness no longer existing. Like all these ideas really threw me for a very rough childhood. Like I was the kid from What About Bob who was constantly having panic attacks because he was thinking about death. You know, <laughs> like I was just, I was overly existential for my own good. And there's something with all my research into all the articles I read into quantum physics and the way the world works and what consciousness might be versus what we believe it to be and our concept of time as human beings and how our brains show us time as an illusion and how like and all that and and how it's not actually like that uh, has given me a very calm and accepting sense of what life is and you know I I don't think like we ever truly die you know I feel like uh, in our heads on our timeline, there's an end, but I think the universe is infinite. And I think time is almost like a quick time movie that we can't scrub through, but it, those moments in that movie always exist. So we will, even if we die in our eighties, we'll always be alive in our twenties. We'll always be alive in our teens. We'll always be alive in our thirties. There's always that infinite existence somewhere in the universe. Like those, that, that those moments don't actually cease existing just our, our bodies and our consciousness walk us through this timeline, but I feel like our lives are permanent and the people we loved are permanent. And that brings me a lot of comfort kind of interpreting everything I read that way. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You know, I often get asked a lot, like how has simulation theory changed my perspective on things in life? Uh, and how's this multiverse idea? And first of all, great to hear that, that your wife is, is you know, cancer-free now oh, and, and everything's great. Yeah, it must have been tough going through that while you were making the movie. Uh, and, I, the night we wrapped, I came home and just was like sitting on the floor making sure she's okay for three hours. It's like such a stressful situation to be in. Yeah, yeah I can crazy. imagine. Yeah. But then, as you said earlier, sometimes, you know, grief 
is a reason for people to look into these alternative theories as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a friend and her, her husband had died a number of years ago. And, you know, she told me, I just have this sense that there's another timeline somewhere where he's still alive. And, you know, so I was talking with her about the whole idea of the multiverse and quantum physics. Yeah. And, you know, that idea gave her some comfort. And so it, it's it really does. That, it really does. Uh, yeah. In the same way that religion does. Um, yeah. you know, but, but let's go back to the beginning of the Mandela effect. We haven't talked about Nelson Mandela and oh, yeah. why it's named what it is. And so uh, do you want to give our, our listeners an overview of that? Well, I think people, and did you look into that? Yeah. yeah, I think people, and that's in the movie a little bit. I think uh, it gets its name from uh, a lot of people believed he died in prison in the 80s and that he wasn't released from prison. And so when he died in real life, I believe it was. Uh, I think I'm getting this right. Yeah. Uh, when he died in real life, or so, right? Yeah, yeah. When he died in real life, they were like, uh, "No, he died in prison." And it was, you know, I think you know, a lot of people thought his release and his death and all these things were sort of what happened the way it happened. But the idea was, when he died, thousands of people were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" He was already dead. And I do that, by the way, on a monthly basis with some celebrity dies, and I'm like, <laughs> "They were already dead." Yeah. So, like, I didn't know they were still alive, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's so that's how it got his name, and the and and there wasn't really for that 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 sort of mass uh, misremembrance. There wasn't a thing to call that yet. So the people who were talking about it labeled it the Mandela effect. Yeah, there was a there was a blogger named Fiona Broom, and she Fiona was kind Broom. of a para, paranormal researcher. Yeah. And she was at. She does not Dr- like this movie. She's she's. Been, she doesn't like the movie. No, because <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I didn't ask her to. I didn't. I didn't really need to ask her anything. But so I right. didn't though. I didn't ask her anything. I wasn't like, oh hey, what do you think? I I knew her story. I was like, oh yeah, you did that. Cool. That's very interesting. You know. But like, yeah. Uh, then when the movie came out, she's like, well, they didn't talk to me, and blah blah blah. And I was like, oh my god, come on. <laughs> well it's kind of out the mandela now, right? effect you called it the mandela effect you know what i mean like it's yep. everyone's miss everyone's minds are blown you know like yep and yeah. so uh the, you know the way that i remember reading about it her experience was you know she was at uh, a comic-con like conference in atlanta called dragon con yeah. and there were people there that swore there was a star trek episode that you know, there were Star Trek actors there and the actors were like, no, I don't remember ever making an episode like that. And so that, you know, that kind of led her to start asking questions and then it led to the, uh, you know, the Nelson Mandela example. No, and it's so- a very, it's a very, I mean, I'm, what a fascinating position to be in be like, oh, there's, there's many things that people will swear exist that don't. What can, and, and just go down that and to, to label it and to really find that there's this phenomenon in our, in our species where we do this. I mean, no one had really talked about that before. It's kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, and as you look at the uh, you know exa- the explanations, they range from okay, this is faulty memory. That's kind of the the most popular explanation. But then there's a whole host of other explanations. You you hinted at earlier, right? So there's the simulation idea. Yeah. Uh, there's the multiverse idea. Um, what did you look into the whole CERN uh, idea? You know, it was one yeah. of the explanations. And I had Brendan looking at it for like a second in the movie, and then like he just moves on to the other stuff because I was gravitated to the other stuff, so I let the character go where I was gravitated. But a lot of people think like CERN uh, uh, either created more dimensions or it broke things apart. You would probably have much more to say on it than I know about. 
Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, you know, the basic idea was did CERN contact or create a parallel timeline, kind of like, I don't know if you, you saw were all that. afraid it was going to blow up the world like an atom bomb at first. Yeah. That. Well, the, the large Hedron Collider that's there, but it's kind of like the the TV show Counterpart. Did you see that? I loved Counterpart. Yeah. I yeah they that. also I had like an event that kind of branched. And what was interesting in, in, in that show was that the guys from the other universe, they shared a history up to that point. So it wasn't yeah. as if we had a similar history. They were the same person up to the point of departure, right? And then they were enemies. Of, right. Of themselves. <laughs> That's right. Of themselves. And it was like Israel-Palestine kind of, or, you know, West Berlin, East Berlin kind of stuff. It was a really yeah. great show. Yeah, it's and a I great show. Fringe a lot, seen it. too. Fringe was a, a good show on the subject, I thought. That's right. So Fringe was another one. So in my, in my recent book, I go through like examples of TV shows and movies where they've had, a, you know, these either parallel universes or a, a, a kind of a break into two universes or, or, or a multiverse as well. Um, so, yeah, those are the main, you know, the main explanations I've heard. Time travel, you know, is kind of thrown in sometimes if you go to the past and you change something, little things change along the way. Uh, and so I was drawn to the work of Philip K. Dick. And so I don't know if I you, love, I love Philip K. Dick. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you heard his speech in Metz, France. Um, yes. There's a little tiny clip in our movie of that. Like it's three seconds long. just him saying something. Uh, but his speech in France is my favorite clip on the internet about simulation theory. This guy was ahead of the curve on things that on everything. And it was, this was the 70s, was it? Yeah, 1977 in Metz, France. Yeah. Uh, he gave a speech and, uh, you know, perhaps I'll play. I, I just gave everyone a talk in the Google. audience is like, do yeah. we believe him? Is he joking? What's going on here? <laughs> they were like, yeah, is this guy crazy? This is and back in like, the 70s. He's trying to raise the alarm that we're living in a simulated universe to everybody. Yeah, right. But, you know, what I found interesting about his clip, and, and I spoke about it with Rodney Asher, who was director of Glitch in the Matrix, who I had on the podcast, was that originally I thought it was about simulation. And it sort of was. But if you go back and listen to what he's saying, it's actually about changing variables in the simulation and rerunning the same events again and again. So it actually relates much closer to the Mandela effect yes. than even a lot of people give it credit for. That, that's a, that was, those were the ideas that I was toying with, you know? Um, and Rodney too, uh, you spoke, you had him on your podcast. When I started just playing with these ideas, me and Rodney, we will get lunch once a year, <laughs> once every two years and just be like, what are you doing? What's up? What are you thinking about? Because we have very similar interests. We just love the same stuff. He made a movie called Room 237 and I was already like down the rabbit hole with the Stanley Kubrick conspiracy theories. And, and so I was like, hey, I'm thinking about simulation theory. And he's like, I'm thinking about simulation theory. And then it was just like, the whole lunch was like, what is it this? And he was the one who actually got me to think about procedural generation. And if you could exploit that, there are people that think you could crash the system. And I was like, well, there's, there's my second act. Thanks, Rodney. You know, and, uh, I, that's great. So, so what led you to this idea? Like one of the things that I liked about the movie was it wasn't just a simulation. It was that he went to a quantum computer yeah. and he was able to then, you know, kind of crash the system and, and go. So like, like the idea is that if you can, so this, so we are, if we're a program, we take up data inside a, a computer and the data we are is, you know, the things we are, like so, like the people we are and the, what we're observing. But there's an infinite, uh, infinite amount of stuff that we're not observing. So the computer goes, well, I only need to be this big to run this program. And so once humans created the quantum, quantum mechanics, 
we were start. it's almost like you were running Adobe Flash, which takes up way too much memory on your computer. You know, it's like, oh, we stopped doing that a while ago because we were like, well, as the internet grows, this is gonna be too much data to run through the internet. Let's just change what we're doing and not use Adobe Flash. And so uh, he's like, well, I could use this, I could create a program that I install into the quantum computer that makes the quantum computer start to observe much more than the system it, that it's in it is, is capable of observing. And so he runs, he runs like this infinite infinity program in this computer that as it starts to boot up and expand and expand and expand and, and the data starts to slow down the system, he hopes it will ultimately glitch and reset. Right. Uh, so that was the, did that, is that what I did in the movie? I can't. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty yeah. much that, right? Yeah. And, and it gets back to this idea in quantum indeterminacy. And our listeners have you know, heard me talk about this before, where you only render that which you observe, which is actually how we do it in video games. So I really enjoyed the fact that he was a video game programmer, because that's yeah. how we can make three-dimensional video games now, whereas we couldn't back in the 80s. Yeah, right? We just exactly. couldn't keep track of all those pixels. So basically, it's render all the pixels at once and all the different scenarios at once and crash the computer system, right? <laughs> exactly. I've, I, there's this game I used to play, and I haven't played it in years. So maybe I'm getting the title wrong. It's in the movie, too. Uh, I think it's called Hello Sky, or that's this it's a procedurally generated universe that you're, you're no man's sky no man's sky thank you right yeah which no had man's like 18 sky. quintillion planets right yeah in, in and and it only and the reason it could do that is like once you go to the next level the other levels go away you know you just and as you're walking through a landscape everything else is not there and so like it's only using the power and and so i was playing that game a lot while writing this too and i was like all right so if this is how our universe is you just tell the game to not put the other stuff in storage you know, and then that's how you crash the PS5, you know, or the PS4. And so uh, that was, a, that game was a big inspiration for how our world would be too. That's great. Well, th this has been a lot of fun talking about the Mandela Effect movie. So do uh, you want to tell our listeners what you're working on next? You said you wanted to do something in every genre. So, you know, yeah, what, what are I'm, your uh, new projects or projects? Well, I'm working on a movie. We'll see if it gets made, but I'm, I'm going to put everything I got into it about a magician at the magic castle like a veteran magician uh who comes across a magical coin that actually makes things disappear and if he and how he uses it and applies it to his own life and then uh i actually just finished a comic book that uh is now available as of two weeks ago um called pet human which is the story of buster a pet human who's adopted to a love loving and affectionate alien couple on a planet far far away uh you know it's just it's based in a universe where humans are domesticated pets and this is the story of one in particular and uh that came just from me feeding my dog one day and, and saying like what do you think any of this is buddy like <laughs> you look around you don't know what this does you don't know what that does you don't know what this tv is you know you don't know where i'm getting your food from or what it takes to like pay for this like you just wake up go oh we're getting food oh well thank you i guess you're coming home when you later when you leave you know and like i was like what would that be like for a human being so i made a whole comic book about it it's a graphic novel and uh you can get that at our kickstarter site still or you just go to pethuman.com and it'll lead you right to it that's great both of those sound like uh really fun projects and uh you know that last one kind of reminds me of wasn't a scene from men in black where you know, the dog was like, oh, this is great. The humans follow me around and pick up my poop, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so 
So that's, and so is there anywhere uh, uh, on social media or, uh, you know, for people to follow you or, or, or to know about your, your films? Yeah. Or... I mean, I'm most active on Instagram at David Guy Levy. I'm on the other ones too. Uh, but I'm mostly just, if you want to hear the most stuff is Instagram and then, uh, yeah. That's great. And then where can people watch the Mandela effect movie? I mean, is it on all the streaming it, networks? It's on all, it's on all platforms now. So if you have it, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but like it's on a bunch of the streaming services, uh, Amazon too, and all that. Great. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. It's interesting to hear about your journey. And, and for those, you know, who don't know about what it's like to be an independent filmmaker and, 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 and you know, bring a project to completion, I think it's been a bit of an education, you know, for them as well. So, so thanks so much for uh, joining me and, and talking about my favorite subjects. <laughs> I, was, I was tickled to be asked to be here. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, uh, my episode with David Guy Levy, the director and writer of the, of the 2019 movie The Mandela Effect. If you haven't seen it, you really should take a look. Um, I highly recommend it. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the uh, challenges of indie filmmaking as well, which I think uh, is uh, always something that I, as an indie filmmaker, appreciate. Um, and finally, we talked a little bit about Philip K. Dick's famous speech from Metz, France in 1977. Uh, those of you who've uh, listened to other episodes of the podcast or read my books, uh, particularly the new book, The Simulated Multiverse, uh, know that I'm a big fan of that speech. I analyze it in the new book, at least from the perspective of the topics that we talked about here, different timelines and the Mandela effect. And so I'm going to play a, a short clip from that speech to end this episode. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard him um, talk. And then in the next episode, we'll get back on track for our exploration of the emerging metaverse. And don't forget to pick up a copy of my new book, The Simulated Multiverse, which is available now in uh, all the major book sites and in many local bookstores as well. People claim to remember past lives, I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of no one who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is the fact that I am willing to talk about it. We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed. and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present, deja vu, perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words. I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off.